Well, good morning. Let's start by just thanking you all for the prayers that you guys have been uh, issuing on our behalf, going before the throne. I know many of you have told me that you're praying for us. Thank you so much for that. I know some of you were surprised by our announcement last week, uh, how God is uh, taking us into a new chapter uh, down in Florida. And so I uh, realized that that landed on some of you kind of shockingly and I just so value your prayers, so value the, the words that I've heard so far. I think I only heard so far one time, you're a traitor. That was only one time I heard that. Um, but uh, seriously, it's bittersweet. It's, it's, uh, it's hard for us, but it's also exciting. And so we're just wanting to obey God and follow that. So thank you for praying. Uh, I wanted to update you that our house is under contract, praise God. So thank you for praying. Um, after 32 showings in, uh, in, in a day and a half, uh, and a number of offers, we accepted one. So if you prayed for a quick and successful sale of the house, God answered your prayers. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're only displaced for one full day. So um, keep praying. Uh, I've been discussing with leadership. Uh, they are preparing a transition plan, an interim uh, plan, and they're definitely uh, very involved with that right now. So there'll be an update to come regarding that. But keep praying for, for not only us, obviously, but for this campus. God is in control God is going to take care of it all. We know that, but just pray for that. Uh, my last Sunday will be January 10th. On that day, I'm going to share some words from my heart to leave you with. And uh, so I don't feel like I need to say everything now. But uh, January 10th uh, will be our last day here. So enough of that. Grateful to be able to share God's word with you today. It truly is a privilege to open the word of God, to have the privilege, the responsibility of, of digging into the word of God together. So let's do that now. Go ahead and turn to Luke 2 with me, Luke chapter 2. We, we've been in Luke 2 a couple weeks ago. We're going back to Luke 2. And so find Luke 2. We're going to be a little further in the chapter. So go ahead and find that a while. Now, uh, we talked already today about the anticipation and the waiting uh, for Christmas. And, and I, if you have children or if you were a child one point, which you all were, if you can remember back, remember the, remember the questions, how many days till Christmas? How many, is, is it here yet? That, that kind of like just eager anticipation, kind of annoying to parents after a while, which is why I think we came up with uh, things like the paper chain. How many of you guys use a paper chain in your house that you take a, you take a paper chain off, uh, a link off every day until Christmas? Anyone do that? A couple of you. Okay. I know some families do that. And I think that's really just to help the kids and say, Look at the chain. <laughs> That's how many days till Christmas. Now, Advent calendars are really special, and, and some of you have a, a couple of those or one of those, and that helps children understand this concept of, of, like, we're getting close to Christmas, but we're not there yet. Just hold on. But so much anticipation, so much excitement. And in our family, we've done Advent uh, some years more than others. This year, we're a little discombobulated, but Sometimes we do like a devotional every night and we've done like Advent buckets where they take something out of the bucket and we've done the Jesse tree and there's something about waiting and anticipating and it helps you to prepare your heart so it's not just like, boom, Christmas is here all, all of a sudden. And, and there's this anticipation that we find in Luke chapter two. There's a man who we're gonna look at in the text today, Luke two, verse uh, 25 through 35, a man who was eagerly anticipating the the coming of Jesus, that first Christmas. Now, I want to read that with you. So if you'll turn in your Bible here and look at Luke chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 22 and we're gonna read through 35. So let's look at the account of Simeon. Luke two, verse 22. 
And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall of and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, Jesus' first advent, his first coming, was highly anticipated by all devout Jews, all who were of Israel, who knew the prophecies, who knew what was supposed to come. They eagerly anticipated and they waited for this Messiah. Now, it's based on all the Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah and, um, and Ezekiel, all over the place, okay? So it's based on those prophecies and it's fueled by faith. They have this faith that God is going to keep his promise and he's going to send this Messiah, this child one day. Now, one of these men, one of these devout Jews was named Simeon. And Simeon had a distinct privilege that he had this promise from God. God said, you will not die until you see the Messiah, till you actually see the Christ child, till you get to, with your own eyes, take in the Messiah. And I don't know why my mind always goes there, but when, when people in Scripture have a promise from God that they won't die until X happens, I always think to myself, do they feel invincible? Like, imagine trying to sell life insurance to Simeon. He'd be like, no, I'm good. <laughs> until he saw Jesus, and then he's like, yes, I'm here. Yeah. But the, the, I can't imagine, like, knowing, knowing that you're not going to die until God said it's going to happen. This is his unique situation. Tangential thoughts aside, though, Simeon waited. He's full of faith eagerly anticipating in the temple. And some people believe he had a job in the temple, probably wasn't a priest, could have been. But he's in the temple, it seems frequently, and he's just anticipating, waiting. You, you kind of imagine him like every baby that comes in and he's like looking, you know, is this, is this him? Every parents that come in, he, he's looking at the parents. And, and, and here we finally have his faith become sight. He sees this couple and something's different. I don't think they had a halo around them or an aura or anything, but the Spirit speaks to him. This is it. And he goes and he, he looks at the baby and he asks to hold the baby, which if you're a parent and strangers ask to hold your baby, sometimes it's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but they know the Spirit's leading them too and they, they hand him 
Jesus. And he takes Jesus into his arms and he prays to God. Really, he kind of sings to God. This is a, a prayer in scripture that's almost in the form of a song. And what does he say? You see that he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. So this morning, we want to take a look at Simeon. We want to look at him. We want to see how he encounters Jesus. And what we're going to learn is that encountering Jesus begins with faith and ends with sight. Encountering Jesus begins with faith and it ends with sight. So let's look at Simeon's faith first, and that's where our story begins. And I want to describe faith from this text as the, in this way, waiting for God's comfort. What is faith in Luke 2 but waiting for God's comfort? You look at the text and this is what we see. He's been waiting. We don't know for how long. It doesn't tell us. Now, I, I picture the Knights Templar in Indiana Jones. He's like 300 years old. He's got a really big beard. I don't think that's probably true. <laughs> but it seems from the text that he, he's, once he sees Jesus, his death is imminent. So he's probably on the old to very old side. Probably. I think there's some church tradition that pegs him at 117. I don't know where they get that number from. I don't know that that's true. But this is a man who's been waiting. And really the picture that, that, that Luke uses is one of a watchman. He's watching. He's waiting. And, and, and the, the, the imagery is kind of like a watchman in the night shift, waiting for the sun to rise. He has one job. He's supposed to wait. He's supposed to anticipate. And, and he's looking for the sun. And once he sees the sun starting to rise, he announces it. He declares it. His job is done. His mission is accomplished. That's what his job was. And for Simeon, he's waiting in the night shift, waiting in the darkness, waiting for the bright light. This star, the scripture says. And so Simeon obeyed and he waited expectantly. But what's he waiting for? What does the verse say he's waiting for? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, and consolation is comfort. That's what, that's what the word consolation means, comfort. So he's waiting for the comfort of Israel. And without a doubt, this is a flashback to Isaiah. So I want to I show you a couple of scriptures from Isaiah. They'll be on the screen here. And, and we seem to always go back to Isaiah during Christmas time because it's so rich with Christmas meaning. So look at Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. And uh, this is what God's word says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepares the way of the Lord, makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then over in Isaiah 57, we read uh, these words. For I will not contend forever, God says this, nor will I always be angry for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, that's Israel, Israel's unjust gain. I was angry, I struck him, I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. And if you know Israel's history, if you know the Old Testament, you know the story of God's people turning from God, worshiping other idols, and God bringing destruction into their life, dispersing them, exile, 
but he promises comfort. He promises a comfort to come. And when Isaiah wrote these words that we just read, when, when Isaiah writes it, comfort or consolation was needed. Now, you need comfort when you're in pain. When you're experiencing pain or discomfort, you need comfort. And what we have is, according to God's word in Isaiah, is Israel experiencing discomfort because of their sin. Their sin has brought into their lives sorrow, suffering, persecution. This is all judgment from God. And so Israel longed to see their suffering end. They longed not only to be restored to the land, because that's part of it in the time of Isaiah, but they also longed to see an end to sin. It says in the text that their sins or iniquities would be pardoned, Isaiah 40, verse 2. And by pardoned, I mean completely removed. Completely removed. Not just covered over, but eradicated. See, the coming of Jesus, his life, really his death, it signaled the end of temporary expiation where you have to offer an animal sacrifice to be clean, to cover over the sin. No, with Jesus coming, with Jesus' death and resurrection, we have, for the first time, complete forgiveness, complete pardoning. So you talk about discomfort being remedied, comfort coming. You can see why Jesus' birth was so anticipated. Because here is the Christ child who's going to change everything. No more sacrificial system, right? No more of this regular pattern. Now there's complete forgiveness, complete pardoning, and the comfort has come. This is why Simeon is so ecstatic when he holds this Christ child. This is why he worships him. He doesn't just hold him in like, oh, what a cute, cuddly little baby. It's not just like a, a love of a baby. This is a consolation. This is comfort. This is going to be the taking away of sin. So the question we, we need to ask ourselves is how do we wait for comfort? Because this man has been waiting for a long time. How do we wait for comfort? We don't do so well with waiting. Okay, let me speak for myself. I don't do so well with waiting. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, uh, God's teaching me it, I'm trying to learn. And one of the reasons this pandemic has been so hard is because it just, just wanted to be over. <laughs> like, I just want to be through it. Isn't everyone feeling that, right? Like, I can't wait to when I can just walk around and not worry about a mask at all, feel free, and we're not there yet. I can't wait to, like, get to live music and be, like, crammed in a space with a bunch of other people and hear awesome music. That's not happening for a while. I can't wait to sit in a movie theater and uh, sleep through half of a movie again. You know, I can't do that right now. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait, especially when the like finish line or the end is not clear. And this is what we have with the Messiah. There's no exact year. There's no definitive, this is when he's coming. People are just waiting and they're waiting and they're anticipating. And they're begging for comfort, for a resolution for their sins. So how do we wait in this time? And I think we can take some cues from Simeon here in the text. So we wait first with the Spirit's power. Notice this man and notice the Holy Spirit in this text. Simeon is a man that is filled with the Holy Spirit. It stuck out to me as I was reading, the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? Did you notice that? I mean, three times the Spirit is mentioned. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit is upon him. Verse 26, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. So this is a, this is a guy that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I, when I read this, I think, God, are you trying to tell me something about the Spirit? Because three times 
you mention the Spirit here. James Edwards says this. He says, The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the chief characters in Luke 1 through 2 stands in marked contrast to the sparing references to the Spirit in the Old Testament. And it signifies that the birth of Jesus is the divine fulfillment of the messianic hope. You get what he's saying? He's saying, if you read through the Old Testament, the references to the Holy Spirit are kind of few and far between. And kind of a little cryptic sometimes. And then you come into Luke 1 and 2 and the Holy Spirit starts popping up everywhere. There's something to that. God is showing us that the Spirit's moving. Something different is happening. And Simeon is a man who's in tune with the Holy Spirit. So if you and I are going to wait with patient faith for our final comfort, we need to be connected to the Spirit. We need to have ourselves um, filled with the Holy Spirit. The text says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. So what does that mean if the Holy Spirit is upon us? I tend to think it means that our whole being is affected by the Spirit. Our mind, our heart, our body is given over to the Holy Spirit, surrendered, 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, right? Giving ourselves to God and the Holy Spirit residing in us. This is the idea of the Holy Spirit being upon us. Submission. Now in Simeon's prayer, he uses these words that clearly reveal that he's submitted to the Spirit. That he's given his whole being to God. He uses this word for God when he addresses God. He says, he uses this word despotes which we get the word despot from, or despotism, or the idea is complete and utter control. Like we usually use that in a negative way. That ruler is a despot. <laughs> but he's saying, you are all powerful. You're completely in control. I'm not. It's this omnipotence is what he's referring to. And, he, and then he describes himself. He uses the word doulos for himself, slave. He says, you're slave. You're the you're the." omnipotent ruler, I'm the slave, you, I, I depart in peace. He says, you've released me from my servitude. I had a job, I was your servant, and now you're releasing me. So there's this idea of like, you're in control, not me. I'm submitted to you and to the Spirit. And so like Simeon, we want the Holy Spirit to be upon us. We also want the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. Wouldn't it be neat if the Holy Spirit could reveal things to us like, like the Spirit does to Simeon when he takes him into the temple? And I believe God does this. God uses revelation to do so. So with Simeon, he speaks by the Spirit. With us, he speaks with the Spirit through his word. He's given us much revelation. And the Spirit can lead us, can reveal things to us. I've seen this many times in my life where I'm reading the scriptures. And God illumines my mind and my heart. And I can understand something that I never understood before from the word. Or maybe I, I understand something about life that I never understood before. Because he reveals things using his word. Like Simeon, we also want to be led by the Spirit, not led by our flesh, not led by the opinions of others, not led by the media or by the Spirit of the age, but by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. We want to commit to going where he wants us to go, when he wants us to go, and to do what he wants us to do. So the Spirit's rule in preserving and building our faith, this patient, anticipatory faith, it can't be overstated. But I also want you to notice the importance of God's word. The Spirit is here, and so is the word. We wait with the assurance of God's 
word. Uh, I mentioned this two weeks ago, but when Luke writes the gospel, he strives to record things accurately. And he he goes to great lengths to interview eyewitnesses and and record all this so that we have very valid, uh, trustworthy testimony. And this is the basis for our faith. I mean, just as God revealed himself through the Spirit to Simeon and spoke to, to him through the Spirit, as I just mentioned, God reveals himself through this book. And we have here reliable testimony. In this book, we have trustworthy accounts inspired writing of scripture. These writings have stood the test of time, haven't they? Here we are in 2020, a year like no other. And this word is just as applicable as it was when it was first written. It has stood the test of time. God has proven himself over and over again, every prophecy fulfilled. And we believe by faith that the things that are yet to come will also be fulfilled because God has never, never but proved unfaithful. Everything he said is true. And so we have this faith that what will come to be will actually be what the word says. So it's like this. He proved himself faithful in his first advent. And so we know that he's going to prove himself faithful in his second advent. We know because he not only said, I will come and see me and you will not die till you see me. See the Messiah. He did that. He fulfilled that. So we know that he's faithful. So now as we anticipate the second advent, and that's part of advent too, isn't it? Not just the celebration of his first coming, but the anticipation of his second coming. We know that it will be true because he already kept his word when he came the first time. He's kept all the prophecies in this book. So the things that are yet to come, they will happen. We will see him. So our job is to walk by faith for as long as we're alive or until Christ comes back. So we, we, we've explored what faith looks like in the text. Simeon has this faith. We want to have that same kind of faith. I want to look at uh, sight uh, secondly here today. So we've seen faith, but our faith becomes sight. So sight is seeing God's salvation. And look at Simeon. He finally sees Jesus. His faith becomes sight. He takes the Christ child into his arms. He blesses him. He worships him. And, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation which is kind of a double meaning because not only has God's salvation come, Pastor Steve mentioned this last week, Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. So he's, he's looking at a baby whose name is, is Yahweh saves and this truly is salvation come in flesh. And so he says, I've seen your salvation. Simeon sees more than just a sweet baby. Simeon has the ability to see into future This is because of the Spirit. This is because of God. Notice he sees where this baby's headed and what's coming down the pike. uh, Verse 34 and 35. Do you notice it? Here's what he says. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. I don't know what Mary's thinking when he says this, right? I mean, that's not a cute, like, baby announcement. That's, a, that's, a, that's hard to hear as a mom. Like, there is something coming for this baby. It's very ominous, his statement here. But what, what Simeon can see is he can see into the future, and he can see that God's salvation will come through suffering. 
That the only way that salvation can come is through the death of Christ, through suffering, both Mary's suffering and Jesus' suffering. Simon can foresee this. Jesus will suffer a violent death and he will become a lightning rod, really. Jesus becomes a lightning rod that separates people into two categories, right? Those who accept him and receive him and those who reject him. Two different categories. Those that are offended by him and those who are comforted by him. In 2020, we found that uh, many situations in life can simultaneously offend one group of people and comfort another group of people. (laughs) People respond differently to some things. There's been a lot of lightning rods in 2020, all right? (laughs) Jesus is a lightning rod. In every sense of the word, really, when you think about a lightning rod that attracts the, you know, the lightning and absorbs it, that's what Jesus did for us. He comforts us by bearing it himself. But he's also a, a lightning rod in more the, the, uh, the colloquial sense of like, he's a divider. People get offended by him. And that's what Simeon says. Simeon says, people are going to be upset. People are going to be offended. It all comes down to whether you receive him or you reject him. Two groups of people. And a major lesson we learn from Simeon is if we see Jesus for who he really is, if we have the ability with our eyes, if God, if God gives us the eyes to see him, we will receive him and we will worship him. That's what Simeon does. He worships him because he sees him not just as a baby, not just as a human ruler, but he sees him as the Messiah, the resolution, the comfort There was a moment for every single one of us in here who have trusted in Christ. There was a moment where the scales fell from our eyes and we saw Jesus for who he really is. Not just a good man, not just one of the wisest teachers there's ever been, not just a really cool guy like some people think he is, but somebody who is the comfort who will take away our sins. When that happened, we saw Jesus in a different way for the very first time. And this is a miracle This is a miracle. You know what I'm talking about because if you've ever shared Jesus with somebody who just can't see it, it's like, that's nice for you. That's really, I'm glad you have that. I just, it's not not my thing. I mean, I believe in Jesus and Buddha and, and everything. You know, I just believe in all this stuff. No, when you see Jesus for who he really is, the scales fall off your eyes. You can for the first time see him and not only see him, but experience him and worship him. There's a difference between believing that there is a Jesus and falling at his feet and saying, I follow you, Jesus. You're my Lord. You're my Lord and I follow you no matter what. There's a difference. And that comes through sight. According to our text, this miracle of sight is available for all people. doesn't matter what your background, what your nationality, what your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter because he says... Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and he is glory to Israel. All people are called to open their eyes and see Jesus, to behold him, right? But only those who receive Jesus will receive sight. Only those who embrace Jesus and worship him will receive sight. If we think about it, it's only partial sight. So I want to talk about partial sight for a moment and then perfect sight. Partial sight on earth. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Talking about heaven. 
Now I know in part, Paul says, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We have partial sight on earth. We see, but we don't see perfectly. I think of that blind man. Remember the blind man who Jesus healed? And, he, and he's, he's completely blind. He touches his eyes. He's healed, but he's, he's, he's partially healed. It, it takes a process for him to have clear sight. He says something like, I see men like trees walking. Don't know what that means. Kind of interesting. And then, and then he, he's, he's, he's completely healed, and now he sees perfectly. And it, you, always, you ever wonder, like, why did Jesus... Jesus, like, healing didn't take, or Jesus just lacked a little power that day. It's, it's, it's weird. What I really believe happened there is Jesus is showing us that spiritual sight is a gradual process, that we go through a process of sight in our lifetime. And it starts with seeing Jesus for who he really is, and that's sight. But we don't see perfectly. I mean, do any of you see perfectly? Do any of you understand, you know, the hypostatic union and how God and you know, man, Jesus can be 100% God and 100% man in one person, in a trinity where there's three persons but one God. I mean, it's, we can't see perfectly, but we see partially. We see in part, the Bible says. There is coming a day when we can see perfectly. Now, we're not there yet, which is why faith is so important. Faith that patient faith that waits for the comfort. But we will see Jesus with our own eyes. And I want you to think about every lost one, uh, every loved one who you've lost, every family member who's passed this year or the last few years or whenever, who knows Jesus is right now seeing Jesus with their eyes. Isn't that amazing? It's our loss, no doubt. But they are seeing, not partially, they're seeing perfectly they're seeing him for who he is. Simeon declares, my eyes have seen. And it's one thing to believe that we will see Jesus. It's another thing to behold him, to really see him. And this is what Simeon's experienced. He believed it. He knew it was going to come. He had faith. Now he sees This was a game changer. And the gospel writers, if you look at them, they write and they speak to the fact that they saw Jesus. Remember what John says? Like we handled him. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. We saw him. We really, really saw him. They observed him with their senses. And all of this eyewitness testimony, and the Bible's filled with it, all of it piles up to give us this confidence that God keeps his promises. That God keeps every single one of his promises. He said he would come. And he came. And people saw him and they testified to it. In fact, Jesus is the validation for all the promises of God. This is what God's word says. 2 Corinthians 1. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. I think it's neat that yes is capitalized in 2 Corinthians 1. For all the promises of God find their capital Y, yes, in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Every promise in the Bible is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so when you talk about it's all about him, that's what we're talking about, all of it. All of it's fulfilled in Jesus. All the promises that are made to you and to me are fulfilled in Jesus. And what this means is that we're a lot like Simeon, right? We're a lot like Simeon because we have to wait as well. We've received promises from God that he is coming again, that Jesus is coming again. 
Not like a small crying baby, but on a white horse with some kind of tattoo thing on his leg that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming again. We have those promises. The Bible says it, Revelation, many other places. And we await that great day by faith because we know that one day our faith will become sight. The second advent of Jesus is going to be a thing to behold. Uh, My daughter asked me the other day, hey, Dad, can we read through Revelation? I don't feel like I know much about it. So I think we might do that as a family and read through some Revelation. Everyone's intrigued with Revelation, right? I mean, all kinds of signs and symbols. We're not really sure what it all means. But one thing is clear. More than one thing. But one thing is really clear. Jesus is coming again. (laughs) And he's coming again in a way that everyone will see. There's no mistaking him. There's no little manger somewhere in the back hills of Bethlehem. This is like everyone can see him. Isaiah 52 verse 10 says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. No veiling. No parables, as Jesus teaches. It's everyone can see him for who he is, and they will tremble. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That's what Revelation 1-7 says. And this is what makes Christmas such an important part of our theology. And I want you to tie these two together today. Every time we celebrate the birth of Christ, it's a stamp of certainty that he will keep his promise and he will come again. Our faith will become sight. When we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the fulfillment of promises. Lots of promises all throughout the Old Testament, right? And he did it. He came. Somehow he did it. Scientifically, we don't understand, but he did it. And all of the gospel writers testify to this fact. Simeon testifies to this fact. And that lets us know that he's going to actually come again. He says he's coming. He says he's coming on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, and he's going to destroy all evil. And if you think that's hard to believe, just look at the testimony of his first coming. He did it. That's what Christmas is about. It's this stamp of certainty that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Now, unlike Simeon, we don't have a promise that we won't die until Jesus comes back. We don't have that promise. Um, I remember my childhood pastor believed with all of his heart that he would see the return of Christ. He would tell us that, I believe he's coming in my lifetime. He wasn't predicting dates and stuff. I mean, we weren't quite there, but they were like very fascinated with prophecy. But he told us, and as a kid, I believed him. I'm like, okay, he's coming back in my pastor's lifetime. Well, my pastor is in heaven now, so that didn't happen. (laughs) But he's coming soon. We don't know when. We don't have this guarantee that we will see it happen with our own eyes. We may. I hope that we will. Some of us, maybe most of us, Maybe all of us will face death before Jesus' second advent. But here's an important application to remember from Simeon's story, and that is this. Simeon was able to die in peace because he had seen God's salvation. He says, you can take me now. I can die in peace because I've seen your salvation. 
right? A light to the Gentiles, glory for your people, Israel. I really like how one famous poet described the way Simeon felt. I don't know that this man was a Christian, but he said this. My life is light, waiting for the death wind. This is about Simeon. Like a feather on the back of my hand. Dust in sunlight and memory in corners. Wait for the wind that chills towards the dead land. Now at this birth, season of decease. Let the infant, the still unspeaking and unspoken word, grant Israel's consolation to one who has 80 years and no tomorrow. I am tired with my own life and the lives of those after me. I am dying in my own death and the deaths of those after me. Let thy servant depart, having seen thy salvation. And Phil Riken says it really poignantly. He says this, anyone, anyone who's seen Jesus with the eyes of faith is prepared to die. And anyone who has not seen him, whether young or old, is not ready to die at all. That's really the application point for you here today. If you have seen Jesus by faith and you believe that he is the savior of the world, your God, your Lord, you're his servant, then you're ready to die. Now, I don't want to go out yet. I don't think you do either. But truly, your soul is ready. Like Simeon, you can say, God, whenever I'm here. I was talking to a brother the other day. I was visiting him and, and he was waiting for his report, whether he had cancer or not. And he said to me, I'm I'm okay. I'm ready to die if that's what God has. And I mean, and some people say that, but like I could tell he was just, he's just okay. He's ready. And that's powerful. That's what, that's what happens when you actually see Jesus. Because, and especially the older that you live, the longer you live, you become disenchanted with this life. And you say, I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see his face. I just want to, I just want to really, really behold him. So if you have seen Jesus, you're ready to die. If you've never seen Jesus for who he really is, not just a man, but the God-man, the Savior and the Lord, your master, you're his servant. If that's never been your situation or your experience, then you're not ready to die, whether you're 90 or you're nine. And so one of the lessons from Simeon is, have I seen Jesus for who he is? You and I will be able to die in peace if we've seen Jesus as our salvation, if we confessed him as Christ our Lord. The moment we close our eyes, the moment we close our eyes, we'll awaken, we'll open them, and we'll see his face. To be absent from the body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. That's why you're ready, because you will see with your eyes Jesus face to face. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. This is how Jesus' first advent fuels our anticipation of his second advent. Christ is coming. For the first believers, it was Christmas is coming. And we even wait less than a week. Christmas is coming. Which reminds us that Christ is coming and we'll see him. Can't you wait? Leave you with these words from David Matthias. Uh, He said this, Advent is a season of minor chords captured so well in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. As we wait, 
we replay the centuries of longing and yearning that preceded the coming of Christ. And in doing so, our joy in and gratitude for what we have in Christ deepens and enriches and sweetens. And we too live with longing and yearning for Jesus' second coming, even as our waiting now takes on a fundamentally new shape and rises to previously unforeseen levels of hope and anticipation and joy in the waiting because of his first coming. Then, on Christmas Day, those minor chords break into the bright, festive major chords of joy to the world, resolving the tension of ages past, even as they point us to the second coming for which we hope. 